I'm Taylor. And I'm Josie. We're from Bittersweet Infamy on the 604 Podcast Network. Our beat is anything and everything infamous. These games teach a child to enjoy torture. Fight the real enemy. You got another thing coming, bitch? I'm still around. Call me now for your free tarot reading. Listen to Bittersweet Infamy at www.bittersweetinfamy.com. Or your podcast platform of choice. Stay Stay sweet. sweet. Hi, friends. I'm Katie. And I'm Olivia. And we are Podcast by Proxy, Canadian True Crime. Welcome. We're live. Woo-hoo. So live. Welcome back. Uh, so so live is maybe pushing it. I I am not so okay. alive. Kind of live. Yeah. I uh, I had my last wedding of the year this weekend of my bridesmaid duties. Um, so we were supposed to record yesterday, and that didn't happen. But <laughs> we both had no voices from mm-hmm. what we did on Saturday night. So. It's in your best interest that we're here today instead. Yeah, absolutely. My voice has like slightly come back uh, better than it was yesterday, but what a phenomenal wedding season it's been for me. I'm on hold now until next year, so I get a bit of a break, Um, but so much love in 2023, and if you're still getting married this year, congratulations, and it's going to be amazing, Um, but yeah, welcome back to the show. Well, so you have a wedding in 2024 to go to, and then I think I'm going to get married in 2025, and I'm sure by then, because you're uber popular, you'll have another one planned for 2026, so it's going to just be like a yearly event for you for a bit. Only a few years. I feel like we all go through that, though. Like, we all have our yeah. couple years where our friends all get married at the same time, um, but yeah, I shouldn't have much longer than like a year or two. Yeah, I think I had three in one year, and that was like my year where it felt like everyone got married, and then I have... Two that I'm going to this summer. And like soak it up because it doesn't last. I mean, at a certain point, you're not going to get continuously invited to weddings. It's not going to be your bridesmaid season. So just enjoy it. It's It's, hard to get everyone in one room. Exactly. Take advantage of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And of course, in true all of paparazzi fashion, I'm taking a million photos and a million videos and have my tripod. If you ever see me with my tripod, just ignore me. Just let me do what I'm doing. Or get in front of her because it'll be a good photo. Yeah, or that. But uh, yeah, welcome back to the show. We have uh, we have a lot more Kingston Pen related episodes coming your way the next week or so. Um, the riot is probably going to be three parts. I was just telling Katie that as I've like broken down the research and the book and everything. Um, I don't think I can shorten it lo- uh, any shorter than that. So she's wild. The book that I am referencing along with like media, news articles, etc. is called Murder on the Inside, The True Story of the Deadly Riot of Kingston Penitentiary, and it is written by Catherine Fogarty, um, and it's a really good book. I have really enjoyed it. I have had this book since we started this podcast. I was about to say, I would like to make note that when we first started this podcast, I remember where your desk used to be in your old house and you looked over at the book and you were like, one day I'm going to cover that. And it was like literally episode like between one and five. It was like OG episodes. You were like, that's going to happen. I really thought it would be sooner too, but I think that given the 
the depth of research required for this episode i think the timing is right i think i needed to sit Mm -hmm. on it a little um i agree it feels right so yeah i i have dove divin dove i don't know i have divin in i have divin in uh i have dove in and that's what we're gonna hash out today um before we start though as per the huge if you are not already Please follow us on socials, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, at Podcast by Proxy. Um, and please leave us a rating or review on Spotify and Apple. Um, five-star reviews are super, super helpful to grow our show and to get more traction on those platforms. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and if there's anything that you're maybe leaving a review on that's something that could help us in real time, like feedback about our audio quality or something that we're doing or something that might be impacting how the show is like listenability is affected. Please DM us or email us. Um, By all means, I understand the review seems like a logical place and it it is, but if we get a DM about it, it's something I can fix right away. Mm -hmm. And I hate to see that it could have a delay as well if we're waiting for the reviews to show up. So that as well. Yeah, absolutely. If it's something audio related, send us an email, send us a DM. Maybe we can fix it. Um, Yeah, those those five star reviews are really helpful. Um, Yeah. That's about it for me because we were talking for like 45 minutes before we even hit record. So (laughs) I know it's so nice having a day off together. It is. And we are going to have a day off together again uh, biweekly, which is so nice. We used to have that on Thursdays. Um, and then our our schedules kind of swapped around, but now we get Mondays. Woo, woo, woo. What is Mondays Wednesday just got doing? A lot more exciting. I can see I you looking she, at your cat. What is I she know. doing? I think she's stuck under the TV. <laughs> like she's like our TV kind of goes over the window ledge a little bit because it's like on an angle, and she's I trying need to, to go under the TV. I might need to borrow. Um, Wednesday. Wednesday next year for halloween okay because i want to be uh morticia adams and i could put a little collar on her if you like like the little pointed school collar yeah i want brandon to be gomez (laughs) we actually talked about doing that costume this past year oh my god now she's gonna fall off the i just think with like our height disparities like i could put on really high heels and we could really make a funny photo and stuff work and then i could borrow wednesday and uh yes i just called my boyfriend short (laughs) i just i picture like i was about to say yeah because like in comparison, you would look tall, and in the picture, she's like tall and thin. And then I was like, I'm not saying Brandon's short and fat. That's not it. But it's no, like, no. But I could make myself look really tall, and then exactly. and then I would be a, a lot taller towering than him. over him because we're like a similar height. I think he's a little bit taller than me, but like we're quite similar Tiny, in height. Yeah. So I'd have to put like quite high heels I got on, you. but it, it could work. I got you. Anyway, I saw like a cartoon photo, and I was like, oh, that would be a really cute Halloween costume. I need to borrow Katie's cat. Such a cute costume. <laughs> Sure. She, um, I could always spray paint her backpack black so you could just wear her in a backpack all night. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. Well, should we get into this 1971 riot at Kingston Penitentiary? Are we ready? I, I think so. (laughs) Okay. Quick anecdote about that noise. For anyone who watches shows on like Paramount a lot. 
you watch the Bar Rescue commercial all the time, and there's this one that plays right now, and there's this guy in it, and he's like, I'm going to lose my house, I'm going to lose my kids, hi! And he just makes this weird noise, and every time it makes me laugh. And we fast-forward commercials, but, like, we'll listen to that one now because the sound just makes me laugh every time. That's so funny. And it's not funny because he's going to lose his kids in his house, but... No. I mean, he ends up getting rescued, so, yeah, like... Oh, commercials. I don't have TV, so. All right. That's true. Historians note that the worst prison riot occurred 52 years ago in Attica, New York, when 1,200 inmates gained control of the Attica Correctional Facility and took 42 staff members hostage. The end result was 43 people dead and 10 of them being correctional officers. However, on April 14, 1971, just five months prior to the Attica, New York riot, Kingston, Ontario saw its own prison riot at Kingston Penitentiary. While the Kingston Pen riot saw less death than the Attica, New York, it also very much embodied chaos, death, and was a violent tragedy in its own right. Uh, So if you haven't listened to last week's episode on Kingston Penitentiary, very recommended prior to this episode. Uh, Not necessarily like required, but you should. It's very good like background knowledge and will make today and the next two episodes make a lot more sense. So in 1971, Millhaven Institution was built as a maximum security institution to replace Kingston Penitentiary. Um, the Kingston Penn facilities at this point was, were aging and the prison population in the early 70s was booming due to a lot of like the civil rights movement, the explosion of the war on drugs. There was a lot happening in the late 60s and the early 70s that was causing the prison population to grow exponentially and they yeah, needed really, really fast. somewhere else to put people. Um, yeah. And somewhere that wasn't falling apart, essentially. The Haven, as it became known, was located 18 miles west of Kingston in Bath, Ontario, which is a little town just outside of Kingston. Um, So I think last week I said all of those prisons were in Kingston. And to correct myself, they're in the area. They're in like the main Kingston area. But like... Uh, so Kingston Mil- and surrounding area is where these facilities are all located. Correct. Because like Millhaven okay. and Bath Institution, which is its medium security counterpart, were both built on the same grounds in Bath, Ontario. Um, Millhaven Institution also housed the Federal Inmate Intake and Assessment Unit for the Ontario region until 2013 when the unit was moved to Joyceville High Medium Institution to assist with the closing of Kingston Pen. Okay. So yeah, they're all in like the surrounding area. <laughs> okay. Constructed in the form of an octopus, Millhaven Institution was low to the ground with tentacles forming a network of escape-proof cells. The four security control centers were accessible through a 225-foot tunnel from outside the prison, making them impenetrable. Outside I kind of love the way this is explained. I know, right? Most of this Millhaven institution is from Wikipedia. Yeah, it's pretty freaking cool. Yeah, it's a it's a cool institution and it actually ended up opening like earlier than it was supposed to, but we will get there. Outside the barbed wire perimeter was eight gun towers with telescopic military rifles that pointed at the exercise yard. Like, how intense is that? 
This place was pretty kind of cool though. It's like, like high tech, scary, maximum security. Yeah, don't fuck around. Like this place like, is you scary. ain't leaving. Mm-mm. No, no, no. Get comfortable, boy. Yeah, just the eight gun towers with telescopic military rifles pointed directly at the exercise yard, like, gave me chills. As uh, Ash and Britt would say, full body chills, if you will. It's like literally shooting fish in a barrel, it feels like. just like, <laughs> Yeah, and, like, ha- imagine how you would feel. Like, that's intimidating as all hell. Also, like, if anyone out there has taken any gun training, like, guns misfire, there's... Things get bumped. I'm sure they're loaded and ready to go. Oh, yeah. They sure Like, it are. just takes one person to leave the safety off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, encircling the That's entire scary. complex of Millhaven was two 20-foot chain-link f- fences topped with rolls of razor wire. We know that's, like, very typical. When we think about a prison, like, on TV or something, that's really what we think about that, like... Double barbed wire, barbed wire with the rolls up top. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like the foot wide ring of. Yeah. Like you, uh, you and wouldn't even try. The plan for Millhaven was to have specially trained attack dogs and their handlers patrolling between the fences. Oh, God. Okay. I know. This place is intense. The dual fences seemed like a pretty good measure, but having someone walking between the two layers. With attack dogs. The cells at Millhaven were going to be an upgrade from Kingston. Inmates would be housed in individual rubber carpeted cells, each with its own toilet. It had a desk and a steel cot. Each cell had an iron door with a look through window and was controlled by a guard who sat in a bulletproof booth. These cells were L shaped and they were 10 feet deep and 7 feet wide. So, bit bigger than the ones we talked about last week They're l-shaped yeah so they're l-shaped and they have like okay. the toilet and then like the oh, bed okay. and the desk okay i kind of get it yeah yeah even though the conditions at kingston pen were terrible inmates had heard rumblings about millhaven and that it was going to be much worse and so as the opening date of millhaven institution grew closer and inmates knew that they were going to be transferred, um, the tension had started to rise. There was a lot of talks um, about the fact that they had heard about the uh, an extensive electronic bugging system that was going to monitor and record every conversation they had. There was going to be cameras in every cell that eliminated the like tiny bit of privacy that they currently did get. And so the, the idea was kind of like, yeah, Kingston was horrible, but the, at least they knew it. At least they understood it. They knew what to expect. They knew yeah, how to navigate they had a really it. Clear expectation. This yeah. was like unknown terror. Understandable. Yeah. So seems terrifying because of this. Like there had been talks amongst inmates and like rumors for weeks about cell blocks, riots, breakouts. A lot of the inmate population had ignored the rumors um, because a lot of these people had like a small amount of time left on their sentence. And so they understood that any of this kind of behavior, even if they didn't participate in it, could like absolutely kill their chances of parole. Like, yeah, you know, one inmate, a a blanket change for everybody. Mm hmm. 
And Uh many of the inmates also understood that any attack on the institution by the inmates would mean even tighter security and retribution from guards. Because remember from last week, like, this isn't a place where they're getting a slap on the wrist. They're not getting, uh, this is pretty harsh punishment. And so a lot of them recognized that if they retaliated, this punishment could become even worse. And... You know, yeah, this it's like, life that they had figured out how to navigate could get really rocked. Yeah, like, just keep it status quo. It's terrible, but like you said, you know what it is. Yeah. On the morning of April 14th, 1971, the first 12 inmates from Kingston Penitentiary were transferred to Millhaven Institution. An additional 40 inmates per month were set to begin transfer even though the prison was still under construction and not fully staffed yet. So they planned to transfer 40 people a month to kind of like slowly fill up this institution. And my assumption is that at the same time, they're finishing the facilities, they're getting their hiring and their training finished. Um, It just seems like there's too many moving parts to be moving people in. You would think that you would want it, like, fully staffed and ready to go before you even start transferring people in. I mean, mean, personally, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But call me an idiot. Yeah. April 14th was just like any other day at Kingston Penitentiary. It was Wednesday. It was still too cold to go outside to the rec yard in the evening because it's April in Ontario. Uh, So the guards had set up for the inmates to spend the evening in the gym. Uh, So the first group of 78 inmates from range one would arrive in the rec hall between 6 and 8 p.m. The second group from range two would arrive in the gym at 8.30. And then the next two ranges would go to the rec hall and have their time in the gym on the next evening. Um, This was because the prison had a rule that no more than a quarter of the prison population could ever be in the same place at the same time. Was that just for like numbers or for like safety just so that they don't get overrun? Correct. There's only one exception to this rule, though, on the weekends when the inmates were allowed to exercise at the same time, they would allow half of the inmate population to do exercise. But not just like chill around the gym in the rec hall. Quarter at a time only. (laughs) Okay. I mean, so. Yeah, the first group finishes. Range two comes in. They finish their time at 1030 p.m., Senior guard Ed Barrett rings the bell, indicating to the group that it's time to return to their cells. Uh, We talked about the bell in episode one, and previously, as we talked about, it was only used for when the inmates started work, finished work, or if somebody escaped. Um, Now, as the institution evolved, of course, we know, you know, the inmates weren't only working all day. Um... Their day-to-day movements change, how the institution is operated changes. And so by this time, the bell was rang, like, to announce when it was time to sleep, when it was time to eat, when it was time to... So it's just, like, psychological torture at this point. It's controlling their lives. Yes. That is who they answer to is this bell. Okay. Yeah. 
And all of them hated it. Uh, Inmate number 6622, Billy Knight, who is an important player amongst in these episodes, like over the next three episodes, Billy Knight's going to be very important. Um, He was amongst the inmates in range two that night and said of the bell, quote, that bell rings a hundred times a day. You get up by it. You go to sleep by it. You shut up by it. You know everything. It's like you're a walking zombie. In his prison manifesto, he wrote, quote, it has no heart, it has no feelings, disobey its brassy orders or curse it for its pain inflicting callousness, and it will drag you to the dungeon for a lesson in respect. It's brassy orders. Ugh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Billy Knight was a passionate man. He gave a lot of passionate speeches. Some um, descriptive words there. Yeah, and that's very Billy of him, for sure. You go, Billy. Yeah. William Knight, or Billy as he was known, like I said, was prison number 6622. He was 28 years old in 1971, born on March 17, 1943 in Don Mills, Ontario. Billy was the fourth of 11 children and was raised on his grandfather's farm in Don Mills. Billy's parents were labeled as poor and uneducated. Well, when you have 11 of them. Yeah, that's fair, which it's was expensive. like pretty pretty normal back then. My grandma's the youngest of like 13. Um, but I think it was common that if you had that many kids, they did just work on the farm. You didn't yeah, pay 100%. To any extra yeah. to have them in anything outside of the farm because you think they can learn all they need there and that's what they're going to do yeah. with their life. So, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Billy developed a knack for petty theft early on. He would often steal groceries from the local store to help feed his family. Um, Billy's family life was quite tough. His parents were quite abusive to the kids. Um, But when his six-year-old brother Jimmy was hit and killed by a drunk driver, the family dynamic got even worse. Billy resorted to skipping school and running away from home. He was arrested for shoplifting at the age of 14, and this is the first time he was sent to county jail. At the age of 15, he stole his first car and was sent to Guelph Reformatory for a year. Guelph's in Ontario as well, for anyone who's wondering. Yes, Guelph is in Ontario. It's just a weird name, so I thought I'd clarify. (laughs) Guelph. Billy was in and out of jail and jobs for years after this. He got married at the age of 18 and continued stealing to support his new family. Around this time, Billy also developed a problem with alcohol that constantly got him into trouble. Never good? No. In 1966, Billy broke into a Salvation Army thrift store in Windsor, Ontario to steal clothing. He was sentenced to three years for breaking and entering. And after he was charged, he attempted to run from the courthouse This was the first of many escapes for Billy Knight. Oh, okay. In 1969, Billy was out on parole and smashed a store window in Kingston, stealing a bunch of cigarettes. Because of his previous history with theft, he was sentenced to three more years in Collins Bay Penitentiary, which is in the same area. He was given a day pass from Collins Bay in the winter of 1970, and at this point, he took off stealing a 1963 Ford car in Ottawa and headed north. Yeah. 
Okay. The car finally ran out of gas in Wawa, Ontario, which is more like northern Ontario. And this is where Billy was chased by police through snow-covered fields wearing absolutely no winter clothing. He was eventually caught, but because he had frostbite on his toes from being out in the Ontario winter without footwear, like proper footwear, Billy was taken to the hospital instead of the prison. Yeah, I would assume he's just in, like, his thin prison wear. Yes. And so they take him to the hospital, and guess what? Good old Billy. He escapes again. He bolts again. Um, Yeah. he does. Not surprised. He was captured a few blocks away. So this whole debacle, uh, running away to Wawa and then running away from the hospital. To Wawa. (laughs) Lands Billy in prison for seven more years as well as cost him a $96 fine for walking away with a prison-issued uniform. Oh, and what year was this again? Uh, 1970. And he got a $90 fine? $96. $96, right? Yeah. I want to see what that is in today money. <laughs> yes, please convert that for us. I'm very curious. Uh, but so he gets another seven-year sentence because he ran away. However, this time he's sent to Kingston Penn. Uh, where security is much tighter and it would be much more difficult for Billy to escape. Billy had already spent one sentence at Kingston Pen previously, so this was his second time there and he knew what to expect. He knew that in order to survive Kingston Pen, he needed to be smart. Well, duh. I'm waiting for you. I know, it just, um, it's not giving me the site I want. I just tried oh. to go to, like, time money converter, like usual, and it was like, no. It doesn't exist anymore. I was like, no, it, it does. $97. It looks today. like the value of $96 from 1970 to 2023 is around $740.21. Yeah. I know. I just Googled it in, like, yeah. plain terms, too, and I was like, well, that's boring. Yeah, so about $750 fine for walking away with a prison-issued uniform. Yeah, so anyways, Billy is sent sent back to Kingston Penn, where he had already been there before, um, but he gets seven years. Oi, okay. So Billy had... I mean, he hasn't really done anything like that bad yet, other than the escaping and stealing a car. Remember early on Kingston Penn, a lot of the inmates were, it's a lot of petty theft, a lot of larceny, grand larceny, because remember, like back then we still had the death penalty. And so, um, well, yeah, because I remember we were both kind of surprised that of all the people going into this like crazy prison were these kind of guys that didn't really deserve to be there. Yeah, well, because the death penalty in Canada was not abolished until 1976, and then Kingston Penn was made like a um, a solitary confinement unit for kind of like the worst of the worst in 1978. Mm-hmm. So before all of that, it's really like the worst of the worst is these uh, petty theft, grand larceny. By the way, larceny yeah, is so. stealing specifically money and not just stealing anything. I would like to clarify that from last week as oh, well. okay. I thought it was over um, a value of, I guess, yeah, if it's just currency. No, back know. then larceny was considered it had to be stealing money. Um, oh, okay. Anyways, a lot of these people, yeah, they're not, they're not murderers up until... Like in our eyes know, today, these are just 
petty theft. Until 1978 and beyond, then it gets a lot darker for sure. But yeah. Okay. Now, over the years, um, while being incarcerated, Billy Knight had picked up cutting hair as a trade. So when he arrived at Kingston Pen, he kind of asserted himself as the prison barber and became... Sweeney Todd. (laughs) Yeah. So he, he becomes quite well known amongst the inmates because like... You go to your hairdresser and you gossip. That's the way it is. Also, I feel like if we've ever watched prison shows or like Orange is the New Black, the hairdresser is someone that everyone loves because it's like the one thing you can still do to like treat yourself in prison is like get your hair done. Yeah. Well, and one of the rules at Kingston Pen was strict adherence to personal grooming. Hair had to be short. Beards and mustaches were not permitted. So like everyone was visiting the prison barber. It wasn't mm, a choice. Okay. Um. Billy's hair was always meticulously styled in a high, like, 40s pompadour, you know, the grease hair with, like, the wet combed into a big oh, yeah, wave like you have in like the a front. Comb and a hand smoothing it at the 100%. Same time. Like, this is Billy Knight. Yes. Like, he should have a cigarette or a toothpick hanging out of his mouth at the same time. Damn. Yeah. I can picture it. Billy was known as someone who was well-liked. He was also known as being mouthy. He never backed down from an argument. He was a strong advocate for exposing awful prison conditions. Um, He was known for making passionate speeches to anyone that would listen. And he was considered a natural leader amongst the inmates. Oh. Yes. Okay, well, then he he could be an asset. Use him, guards. He could be an asset or he could be a a downfall. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) At this time. I don't know why I'm doing this. Like, I don't know what happens in this story overall. And I'm like, they could, they can fix him. They can change him. (sighs) I know. I know. I don't know why I'm talking like this. (laughs) I'll stop. (laughs) At the time, also, Billy was writing a book called The Walking Dead, which was an autobiography and expose of his prison life. Billy said that this book was going to Could revolutionize the prison a system. Movie? So interestingly enough, and I would love to know if the Walking Dead title for like the actual show and the comics yeah. and everything like was was in any relation in to- any inspiration from this because the note around like the Walking Dead for Billy Knight was that they were like walking zombies. Like, yeah. in the prison. Isn't that... Like, it's really crazy. It totally. hmm Yeah. Yeah, I just... I'm totally... Yeah, I would Google love to know like if that was, like, a... story because I agree. I think it makes perfect sense why that correlation would be made. Yeah, like, is that a dink or... When was the Walking Dead comics even made? Was that pre-1970? I don't know a lot about that kind of stuff. I don't know because I only ever watched the show, so... Hmm, let's see. Comic origin date 2003 okay so it totally could be taken from yeah so it totally could have the walking dead title origin yeah they tried to say it's from something that the character in the book says but like where did he get the line from isn't that yeah it's just even if it is a i totally have questions yeah (laughs) yeah Um... this one seems too yeah especially because yeah billy knight is like um saying basically yeah like the prisoners are the walking dead like they're walking he might never admit that that's what it's from because it's not the best connotation but who knows Yeah. yeah okay so 
that's Billy Knight. Now that we have a little bit of a background on him, we're going to go back to the gymnasium, back to the rec hall after the second group of inmates had had their time. So it's 10.30 okay. p.m. and the bell goes off to let the inmates know it's, it's time to line up. We're headed back to our cells for the night. Okay. The 78 inmates from range two were preparing to get in line. The portable portable TVs, like remember the rolling portable TVs from school? This is the, the this is the TVs they in, have. It's a good day. Yep. So they had those. The, the TVs were turned off. The folding chairs and tables were restacked. And that night there were 10 officers on duty total in the main cell block. Okay. Senior guard Ed Barrett was 57 years old and had been a correctional officer for almost 30 years. On the evening of April 14, 1971, he was the night keeper on duty. With him was Douglas Dietrich, Donald Flynn, William Babcock, who was responsible for maintaining order and discipline in the gym, Terry Decker, Douglas Dale, Joseph Vallier, and rookie in training Carrie Bushell, who was only 24 years old. Of the 10 guards on duty that evening, three of them were in the gym. Another was stationed in the gun cage that overlooked the entire room. Two guards were stationed just outside of the gym. Four stood in the passageways around the perimeter of the dome. And this stationing was all in preparation for the inmates leaving the gym and walking back to their cells. So it was kind of like an assembly line. Yeah, like the way you explain it, that sounds like they actually had a good amount of coverage and were well prepared yes. like i was trying to envision like where they were and to me that mm. seems pretty adequate it's like an assembly line to kind of move everybody through yeah. and then um, get them to their individual cells once they get up top mm -hmm. the inmates started to prepare to get in line and billy knight held back a little bit uh the guards don't really notice that billy or any of the other inmates are doing anything out of the norm um, as they lead the inmates out of the gym down a long corridor, past the hobby shops and uh, shops, sorry, and toward the dome, the guards would fail to notice that there were six inmates out of place in the line. So they were supposed to be in like a particular order, and six were out of place. Okay. Billy Knight had recruited five inmates as a part of a plan he had hatched for the night, and they were to take their well-rehearsed places in line. Hmm. Inmates Charles Saunders and Brian Dodge quickly moved to the front of the group while Robert Adams, Alan Lafreniere, and Leo Berrio held back. Officer Donald Flynn at this point is standing in the corridor between the dome and the gym. He unlocks okay. the gate to the main cell block passageway and passes the key to Officer Terry Decker. All right. Harry Decker walks up the hall toward the gym where he waved to Officer William Babcock in the rec hall. William Babcock blows his whistle and the men from range two start lining up to start their march back to their cells. No more than 20 inmates are sent through at a time. So they line okay. them up and they start opening gates and they're ready to go and they send 20 through this hall at a time. Okay. Yeah, break it into, like, manageable groups. Yeah. Okay. 
Guards Douglas Dale and Joseph Vallier waited on the range. So that's up like there's like level one, two, like three, four. Eye, right? And so they're waiting up on range two where they would open the cell doors with this like spin of a large iron wheel. We can all kind of picture that, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah and you imagine like the like big doors opening. Yeah. Exactly. And so Valier would prepare to lead the men down the cell corridor. So everyone kind of had a job in terms of like where they positioned and their role in getting the inmates back to their individual cells. Yeah. Again, to me, seems quite well organized. Well-oiled machine. Yeah. As the uniformed inmates from range two walked past Officer Terry Decker. So this is the first group of inmates. Terry Decker failed to notice that the men were out of place. He did, however, notice that one of the men had an exposed shirt tail. Decker pointed his finger directly at Billy Knight and yelled, tuck that shirt in. This being pointed out like this was not part of Billy's plan. And in that moment, he had 20 sets of eyes on him as they were moving through this narrow steel corridor and decides this is his moment of no return. He cannot, he can't go back on this now. Strike while the iron's hot, Billy. So he makes the decision to swing his full body around and punch guard Terry Decker right in the stomach and knocks him straight to the floor. He decked Decker? He decked Decker. Oh, dang. In this moment, Billy Knight yells, that's the last fucking order you're going to give, and the Kingston Pen Riot of 1971 had begun. That's a pretty epic line. Yeah. Billy damn Knight. Billy. So, Billy Knight... I, I don't support this, but damn, Billy. Billy Knight was a character, for sure. We will... Uh, that will continue to be a theme throughout these episodes. Oh, I'm not and uh I think we all know by this point that he's a major player in in the riot. Um or maybe and I the think player. That, I think that Billy's intentions were good. I think he thought his intentions were good and that he was fighting for the greater good of the inmates and that his goal was um proper treatment. Like he wanted better treatment for the inmates. I just think that he went about it the wrong way. It may have gone a little bit south. It's kind of sad. And I don't mean for criminals, but I mean people in general, when you can tell someone's trying to do something good, but doing it like completely wrong. And you're like, oh, yeah, you like the intentions like, were good, but the execution was a bit poor. Yeah, the execution was yeah, shite. Terry Decker had been working the Florida midnight shift that night, and he had actually not even been scheduled to work, but he agreed to switch shifts with somebody else who wanted the night off. No. I know. Like, what? Un- Why do we hear about this so often? So unlucky. After being knocked to the ground by Billy Knight, another inmate, Charles Saunders, pushed Terry Decker back down as he was trying to get up and ripped the keys to the rec hall out of his left hand tearing the nerves in his fingers two other inmates pulled him up and dragged him towards the dome Jeez. yeah and it only gets worse from here while terry decker was being attacked four other inmates so brian dodge leo barrio alan lafreniere and another player robert adams ran towards the dome they knew they needed to get there before the other guards realized what was happening and locked it so remember this is all occurring back in this corridor 
None of the other guards have any idea what's going on. They're just waiting for the inmates to move through to their positions. So these inmates who already knew this was going to happen are like, we need to get control of the main dome before the other guards realize and they lock it up and we can't get in there. Exactly. Okay. Officer William Babcock was still in the gym and had no idea what had gone down until he found Terry Decker's cap on the ground next to the open gate. Guards were never seen without their hats and they could actually be like reprimanded Reprimanded, and disciplined for not wearing them. So seeing an officer's hat on the ground was like a huge no-no red flag. Hey, when you said there's order in this prison and it's very, like, strict about that, that would mean for everybody. So that's not just inmates. Like, imagine almost like militant staff uniforms. Correct. Yep. Yeah. No, makes sense to me. William Babcock told his co-worker Raymond Pattison to take the gate and not let anyone through. He was just like, "Mm, something's up. Yeah, something's happening. He then ordered all of the inmates to line up against a wall in the gym. Because, again, keep in mind, these inmates who are in this gym and have not been moved through yet also have no idea. And most of them were not involved in this plan. Yeah, most of them have no idea. Because didn't no you say clue. it's only like five of people are in on this? In five terms of like- out of like 78 in range two that were in the gym at that time. Yes. Yeah. So the rest are probably like, what the fuck? Yeah. He then ordered all of the inmates to line up against the wall and again the prisoners complied like they had no idea what was going on with the first group so they're like okay yeah we're good we'll stand okay, here like, sure i'll just yep take orders yeah further down the cor- corridor officer flynn also hadn't noticed anything until inmate brian dodge ran towards him and knocked him to the floor while billy knight yelled finish him up and luck- lock him up in f block can you imagine just like lifting your head and just seeing an inmate just running at you? I think in general, looking up and seeing anyone just running at you is terrifying. But in well, that situation. Yeah. And I think at this point, that would have been really alarming given the yeah. amount of like order and authority. Organization. That the, and like the, the, the authority that the guards had over this prison yeah. and the inmates at this time, I think it would have caught any guard <laughs> off guard. Um <laughs> To see this because it's not yeah. something that you're used to. They they don't retaliate. No, you're so used to everything being like the same every day. Yeah. In how this process works. Yeah. So at this time, as uh, Officer Flynn's getting knocked down, Billy Knight's yelling to finish him up and lock him up in F block. Officers Ed Barrett, Joseph Vallier, and Douglas Dietrich were waiting for the escorted prisoners to arrive in the dome area. They're just waiting. They're waiting for them to get yeah, there. Just, hey, man. Um, how's the kids? Great. Yeah, yeah. How's weather? Yeah, yeah. Like. Without any warning, inmate Alan Lafreniere grabs Ed Barrett by the shirt and dragged him to the north wall of the dome. Ed Barrett attempted to fight back. But inmate Robert Adams grabbed a foam-free fire extinguisher and threatened to spray it in his face if he didn't back down. So this is when... What is a foam-free fire extinguisher? Not a clue. No, me neither. Okay. I actually don't know, but let's find out. (laughs) Is it like a dust? Like a powder, maybe? Like an aerosol? I don't know. Foam-free... I'm sure it has something to do with what's in the fire extinguisher. Well, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> Firefighting foam. 
I don't Sir, know. I foam need free. foam free. Foam free. Um, hey, Google. What is a foam free fire extinguisher? Better do the work. What's she showing me? It's, it's giving me free fire extinguishers. She's like, do you want free ones? Oh, I think okay, it's well, called Halon Free. It just doesn't have a certain chemical. Here's fire fighter, fire extinguisher types. <laughs> Class A fires. <laughs> uh, okay, so there's water fill, film forming foam type, which is the AFFF that you're talking about. Carbon dioxide type. Halog- so it's just the type of fire extinguisher it is. Wednesday just fell off the desk asleep. Oh, my God. She was just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. she did not land on her feet. Okay, so yeah, Ed Barrett, uh, inmate Robert Adams threatens to spray him in the face with a fire extinguisher, foam free. Uh, if he didn't back down, Ed Barrett gives in. Officer Douglas Dietrich was then grabbed by inmate Brian Dodge, and Officer Joseph Vallier, being outnumbered, surrendered to Billy Knight. So all of the guards are overpowered at this point by the inmates. The last two guards were Douglas Dale and Carrie Bushel. Now, may, remember, they were stationed up one level on yeah, range. Yeah, they're doing the doors, right? Yes, they're up on range two, and they're waiting okay. for the inmates to come up to actually open the cell doors and individually escort them into their cells. After hearing an inmate yell for them to throw down their keys, Officer Douglas Dale just like recognized something was very wrong because like they didn't know anything was going on. But he's like, I'm sorry, what? That doesn't seem right. That's wrong. Um, And he runs to lock the range, but was grabbed by another inmate before he could do so. No. I know. At the same time, inmate Leo Barrio climbed up the side of the tier and grabbed Carrie Bushel from behind, yelling, don't try anything or I'll break your neck. I can picture all of this happening. After looking at these staircases and the layout mm-hmm. and the amount of movies we've watched, like action movies we've watched. I this can totally shit is straight of out this. of a movie. I know. Without a doubt. This is crazy. Yeah. So Officer Douglas Dale then makes a split second decision. He had like another set of keys on him that could basically uh, open the entire second tier locking device, which would free every prisoner on that range. So as the inmates pushed him down the stairs of the dome, he like threw the keys behind an inaccessible gate that led to the keeper's hall and was hoping that this way some of the inmates would stay locked up yeah so he could keep that floor locked up uh yeah well the inmates ended up smashing a local mechanism which let loose 440 inmates anyways oh great great so everybody's free running around now i'm i'm gonna go down a limb and say that's more than just tier two yes okay okay great uh yeah In total, the inmates locked up six guards inside the corridor of 1F block, Ed Barrett, Joseph Vallier, Douglas Dale, Carrie Bushel, and Terry Decker. Um, There was nine nine guards being held hostage at a certain point, but three three of them weren't in F block and they were eventually let go. We'll kind of get there, but the main six are these ones here, Ed Barrett, Joseph Vallier, Douglas Dale, Carrie Bushel, and Terry Decker. So they locked them up in what's called 1F block. Okay. 
The inmates demanded their watches, their rings, their cigarettes, their money. And as Ed Barrett hands the inmates his wallet, he says, quote, look after this and don't forget, I'll remember who you are. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember in my story where there was like a prison takeover way back when, mm-hmm. same thing happened. They looked at their wallets and were like, now I know where you live, so don't fuck around. Yep. So scary. So the prison is now fully under control by the inmates. Billy Knight smashes a wall safe behind the keeper's desk in the dome, grabs all the keys, and passes them out. He starts running from wing to wing, shouting orders like a general. He's like yelling, brothers, our our time has come to shake off the shackles. We've taken control of the dome and we've got six hostages. You will be released from your cells. Uh, So everyone's released. The inmates are now in full control of the main cell block. And like they are smashing and destroying everything in sight in these early hours. Do we know if the inmates are going after each other too? Or are they really working together? Because I think in today's day and age, a lot of people have like beef with each other. So and not, I think that there would be a lot of gates opening and people going for each other, too. But I just... Not yet. Don't. Okay. But I think we can all imagine, because we know that this prison does house, even at this time, is housing people in solitary confinement, mm-hmm. is housing people that are not safe even in general population. And so we can all imagine how that's going to go. Speaking of which, quick... Uh, I don't know if everyone saw the headline today, but Dr. Nasser, the guy who was known for uh, assaulting and molesting all the Team USA athletes and gymnasts, Mm -hmm. uh, got stabbed for the second time today in the back and the chest. No way. We don't know about his status, but let's keep him in our ill wishes. (laughs) I mean, look, that's... (laughs) I don't wish ill on him, if but you at haven't the same time, watched, karma's a bitch. If you haven't watched Athlete A on Netflix, I highly recommend it. It's super well done, and that's going to tell you everything you need to know about Larry Nasser. Yeah. Um, so, and yeah. The guards the, locked up. The inmates are destroying everything. Like, in these early hours of the riot between, like, 10.30 p.m. and 1 a.m., they're just kind of running rampant. They are smashing and destroying everything. Um, the the bell, that bell becomes a main target in these early hours of the riot. Um, it was almost immediately destroyed using like chairs, pipes, anything else that they Good. could get their hands on. The final I blow, that. the final blow that like fully destroyed the bell was actually from a fire extingu- extinguisher. It's like shattered this brass bell Foam to free, pieces. Foam free, of course. Foam free. Foam free, of course. The guards being held hostage, I mean, they they start to feel pretty early on that they're going to be killed. Um, oh. Yeah, so among among the, the captors of these guards is an inmate who bludgeoned his own mom to death with a baseball bat when he was 16. So the guards just, like, aren't feeling like their lives are, are safe at this point. Um, some of the prisoners were talking about wanting to throw the guards over the railings to their death. However, Billy Knight reminded them that if the riot was going to have any meaning at all, the guards could not be harmed. 
He reminded the inmates that the goal of this riot was prison reform. So Billy Knight was hearing that as those guys sitting there being like, oh, thank God. (laughs) Yeah, legit. Yeah, I mean, they are terrified for their lives at this point. Most of the inmates are just running rampant and want to kill them. Billy Knight is really one of the only people who's like, guys, we started this for a reason. We got to keep it. There's very few people that are actually looking out for the hostages well-being, which is like normally in a hostage situation, I think you expect that they don't actually want to hurt anyone. They do it just for their demands, whereas these people are already in prison. And they probably really want to kill these guards, as you're saying. So that's crazy. Yeah. So the warden of Kingston Penitentiary at this time was Warden Arthur Jarvis. Um, At this point, he had already been contacted and been, like, made aware of the chaos that was ensuing inside the penitentiary. Uh, So as the inmates were beginning to rush, like the the kitchen was pretty well stocked. And so they start running for it. However, there was there was still guards and employees in the in the kitchen. And so as the the inmates start to rush the kitchen, um, a blast from a shotgun hits from inside the kitchen, shattering the window of the door. And the inmates all like drop to the floor as the glasses shattered on top of them. So at this point, Billy Knight moves away from the kitchen uh, and he calls the warden, Warden Arthur Jarvis, from the radio room and says, quote, if there are any more shots fired, we'll start cutting off fingers. Yeah, the warden then hears somebody in the background yell, tell him we'll drop a finger out the window for every shot. Like, ruthless. Yeah. And and the warden will kind of get into this as well, but the warden I think at this point the only thought the warden really had was like, oop, there it is. Like he had been he had been writing letters to, to his happen. higher ups and like yeah. waiting for this to happen. He knew that this place was essentially a ticking time bomb. Yeah, I think when you're that entrenched in it and it's your like place to manage, you you should be the one people listen to when you say this place is freaking dangerous. We need yeah, more and help. We there was support. a lot of like power dynamic issues between like the penitentiary service and the wardens and the people actually managing the penitentiaries and the institutions at this point. There was like very much a power struggle in that the the wardens of these institutions only could do so much. Um, And got a lot of pushback from their higher ups. And so, yeah, you're exactly right. Like, you should listen to the person who's managing this place day in, day out. Yeah, don't just be like, oh, it's fine. We know what it is. It's the same as we, I think, all have issues with in any day-to-day job where you feel like people up top are making the decisions but aren't. They're the not there every the single day. They don't know. Yeah, yeah 100%. You're totally so I think that this right. This is a lesson to everybody. Like, mm-hmm. listen to your teams, listen to your valued people who know what's going on, who are your boots on the ground. Yeah, 100%. I agree with that. We've had that talk many times. Many times. Yeah. So the riot begins, and Billy Knight decides he needs to hold a meeting in the main dome. Um, with the inmates like he sees that the chaos is ensuing he sees that maybe not everybody is like seeing his vision and he's like we need to we need to have a group meeting so okay (laughs) just picture this picture this all the inmates are on like the main level level one and billy knight goes up to range three 
Oh, God. And is like... Hear ye, hear ye. A hundred percent. He's like overlooking the dome Get off your goddamn prison soapbox. Like he's a fucking cult leader shouting, we've got hostages, men. We're not going to release them until our demands are met. And my brothers, that will take days of hard talk. He's totally hear ye, hear ye over this huge group of like 500 inmates the fact that they're all listening to him though is kind of impressive yeah i know it's wild so billy knight gives this speech and then he leaves the dome area and this is when he starts going to the gym to free the rest of the inmates who were left behind because remember there's still like 60 inmates or something that are left yeah locked in the yard in the gym so he enters the gym. They have no idea what's going on. <laughs> they have no clue. He enters the gym and he sees 64 confused inmates lined up against the wall. There's three guards still there. Um, one of the remaining guards was William Babcock, who had been at this point handed a 38 revolver from the officer who was locked in the gun cage. Um, this was a decision made by ken garrett who was the officer who was locked in the gun cage and it was later a decision that was criticized because there's now a 38 revolver that is potentially in arm's reach of 64 inmates um also you just paint a huge target on that guy's back by giving him the single firearm in the building almost yeah Yeah, so Officer Ken Garrett later recalls this moment and he says, quote, I wanted the guards in the gym to have a fighting chance. They were sitting ducks and I didn't care if they fired me. We all make decisions in the moment. um, And that was the one he made. He felt that was the best choice for the lives of the guards. Um, He would have been wrong either way in this. 100%. I just wanted to point out that it was a controversial decision, but I think that he made the decision he felt was best for the lives of the guards. Yeah. I, again, I see both sides of it. Yeah. So there's an interaction between Billy Knight and William Babcock. When Billy enters the gym, he sees the 38 revolver pointed at him. And Billy says to William Babcock, quote, let's talk to which, uh, William Babcock replies, anything I've got to say to you will come from the mouth of this gun. And yes. William Babcock was known as Killer Bill um, in amongst the inmates and the guards. And he had, like, no intention of backing down to this terrorist, basically. Okay. So probably that's also why he handed that guy the gun, because it was that guy. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, guess yeah. I see why. So Billy Knight then requests the guards let the inmates in the gym go and join him in his, quote, peaceful protest. But William Babcock was having absolutely none of it. William Knight turned and left the gym. And this is when Ken Garrett grabs the phone inside the gun cage and calls the emergency operator who was stationed inside the front gates to tell him that there was a riot going on in the main cell block. So they're starting to kind of be able to reach out outside the institution and let people know that this is happening. Well, and hopefully be able to at least assume that if these people get out, that there's people outside to try and wrangle them. Yeah. 
So between 10.30 p.m. and about 1 a.m., like I said, the inmates who had been released were just kind of wreaking absolute havoc. They were demolishing cells, furniture, equipment. They broke every pane of glass in sight, and they just kind of generally went wild. At 11 p.m., Warden Jarvis received a phone call from the gate officer telling him that the inmates had taken control of the central dome area of the prison. Uh, Like I said earlier, Warden Jarvis had already been writing letters to his superiors warning them that something was going to happen inside Kingston. Um, So this is when he receives the phone call from Ken Garrett inside the gun cage. Uh, This is after the interaction with Billy Knight. And Ken Garrett tells the warden that an inmate wants to talk to him. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Uh, And so at this point as well, it's important to note that the warden lives in a house that's like you can see it from the prison or like you can see the prison from the house. It's like a warden house. Um, So he's basically on the grounds, like just outside of the grounds, and he can be there really fast. Okay. Warden Jarvis arrives in the gym that evening. He has absolutely, like, no clue what he's walking into. He just knows that the inmates have taken control. There's some form of a riot happening, and he has been summoned to the gym because somebody wants to talk to him. He arrives in the gym to find all of these, like, 64 inmates lined up quiet and under control because, again, they are not quite part of this yet. Yeah. So now he's real confused. Where is this, like, wild riot riot that's going on? He all of a sudden hears a key turning to lock the exit gate, and this is when he sees Billy Knight, who he knows to be the prison barber, walk into the gym. By this point, the warden had already called his superiors, uh, so the regional director of penitentiary services, John Maloney, and the commissioner of penitentiaries in Ottawa, uh, Paul Fagai. He also had ordered all off-duty guards to immediately return to the prison, and they were to stand armed with rifles around the perimeter of the main cell block. He notified the duty officer of the Canadian Forces base, uh, uh, sorry, the Canadian Forces base, so the army base nearby, and requested that the army be put on standby, and so there were 45 troops ready to be deployed within 15 minutes notice, and 120 more troops to be deployed within an hour's notice. Good. So he had... Assuming that every one of these guys got out, like, you would need that to get them. Yeah, 100%. Billy Knight approaches the gun cage where the warden was. He assured him that they intended a peaceful protest and that they didn't want to see anyone get hurt. Billy also told the warden that the presence of the additional armed officers surrounding the building was, quote, agitating to the inmate population. And Warden Jarvis is like, so what exactly do you want from us? What did you think was going to happen? Yeah. Billy responded that the inmates' number one demand was positive results in their desire for decent living conditions. Um, And it's, we'll kind of get into it over the next two episodes, but it's still not really known what the exact reason or want was. It's not super clear. Oh, okay. Because that was part of what I was hoping to learn in this process. Well, and we will, but it's like, yes, the prison and the living conditions, but mostly 
the impending transfer to Millhaven and just like general pressure cooker energy. Like, okay, there wasn't really one specific reason. They just were like, Billy Knight was just kind of sick of it and got all the other inmates riled up about it. Okay, that's yeah. fair still, though. Yeah. Uh, Billy Knight then requested that the guns that were in the gun cage and the gym be removed so that the remaining inmates could be, quote, returned to their cells, even though we all know that he had no intention of returning them to their cells. He just wanted them to join the protest. And why does the gun cage have to be emptied for that? They don't want the presence of guards. They don't want to feel intimidated. They don't want people pointing guns at them. Yeah. Uh... In another controversial decision, uh, Warden Jarvis decides to comply with this request, and the hope is that if he gave them what they wanted, the chaos would end sooner. Um, remember, they have six guards kidnapped, and they're very concerned for their livelihood right now. They, their like number one concern is for these guards to make it out alive, and so a lot of these decisions are coming from that point of view. Um, I thought we didn't negotiate, though, in right situation. Like, with lives. Like, I just... Yeah. I feel like if you start to give in once, then boundaries get pushed and pushed and pushed, and it's more opportunities for someone to say no, and that's enough, and hurt your... Yeah. I'll be quiet. I'll just listen. No, I can. I have I, thoughts. I can get on board with that. Um, so he, he complies with this request. The three guards that were left in the gym and Warden Jarvis uh, leave prison the prison and the 64 inmates that were still in the gym follow billy knight back to the dome which adds 64 inmates to this riot great yeah okay so we're increasing the numbers wonderful yeah uh like i said they were really trying to hold off as long as possible in the hopes that the least amount of people would end up dead and that's, Warden Jarvis and Director <laughs> General Maloney both agreed at this point that they would not be able to regain control of the main cell block without risking the lives of the hostages. Which I, I do agree is always yeah. a risk. Yeah. That's where part one is going to end. Mm. So we're going to leave off here. Um, I think it's a really good place to finish. Um, because over the next two parts, we're going to kind of talk about the guards as hostages, what happens there, the cell block D inmates, which is the protective custody inmates, um, the responsibility and management issues and the remainder of the riot. Um, and then in part three is where, again, we're going to kind of talk about the aftermath of the riot, the changes that took place, there's going to be some trials, of course, that come out of this riot. So we still have a lot to get through, but I really wanted to leave it off at that note so that we can kind of start off with like the next part of the story. Um, but yeah. No, I think that was a perfect spot to cut it off. That is, yeah. So we'll stop there. And then I'm really hoping to have part two out to you guys this week. And then part... <gasps> 
part three is going to be our regular Tuesday episode next week. And then we will just continue on with our weekly Tuesdays. Um, I don't think I'm going to be able to get three done in this week. I still have. I don't think I can edit three in a week. So exactly. That's fine. <laughs> like we just we also work full time jobs and have lives and things going on. So I don't think that's going to happen. But definitely I'll get you part two this week. And then part three will be like our regular next week's Tuesday episode. And then it'll be regular scheduled programming after that. But um, yeah, that's part one. Kingston Penn Riots. We got two more good hours to go. I'm very excited because, as I said before we hit record, in the first episode, I felt like I learned so much that I didn't know. And same with this one. Like, I think every episode's going to be like, what? I know. And so- th- and then this riot is really a really huge part in how, like, changes to the penitentiary service um, came to be and all those. And we did kind of talk about some of those changes last week in our main episode, but definitely not all of them. So... Um, yeah, stay tuned for that. Lovely. Um, quickly before we go, I have a quick little Netflix pod, uh, documentary recommendation. Mm-hmm. It's only got four episodes right now, but if you like uh, missing persons cases and stuff like that, or like 48 hours type shows, um, Missing Dead or Alive. Oh. I just rewatched it actually, and I just wanted to give them a quick shout out. Those ladies are bad bitches the team works so well together i think it's well worth watching and the cases are really interesting i've never watched and that definitely give it a watch it's only four episodes but it's the same team that does like has all four episodes but each episode is kind of a different case yeah um and it's really good and it's a woman boss and a woman like detective investigator that they predominantly okay. follow and it's very interesting Regardless of them being women, the cases kind of have some cool twists and turns. Okay. Um, I've been watching so many documentaries lately, but the the ones actually, we were recently talking about this, but there's a few. Uh, very much into like the religious kind of culty episodes or documentaries, if you will, right now. And um, we were talking about the Duggar, the one about the Duggars. I don't even remember Shiny, what Shiny, happy now. people. Yes, we were talking about that. And there's a few other ones. But last night, I actually started um, on Disney+. Plus. There is a new documentary called The Secrets of Hillsong. And it is Ooh. about the Hillsong church that, like, Justin so Bieber. The Bieber church. Yes, yeah. all those celebrities went to. And it was, like, this massive, massive church that started in New York. And there's only two episodes on Disney Plus about it right now. But I think it's one of those documentaries where, like, they release one episode a week because Disney Plus has been doing that a lot. Um, we started yeah. it last night, and it's very interesting. All of them to me are interesting, but I really enjoyed that. So, oh, and there's also one on Disney Plus right now. If you're in like our generation, there's one on Disney Plus also that seems to be like a weekly release about, remember the Ashley Madison website? Literally looking at it right here. I watched the first episode of that. Which also links back to the Duggar case in a weird way. Because for anyone who knows, Josh Duggar being you know, the bad boy of the family there, the bad kid, mm-hmm. quote unquote. He was also a active user and subscriber to the Ashley Madison site. So of that also broke back then. And we all remember that headline mm-hmm. that of all people, the sweet Duggars Ugh. are getting into trouble. Yeah. The well, fact that you touched your own sisters, go away. If you 
like listening to us blabber about documentaries, please let us know because we do like doing episodes every now and then where we talk about a couple documentaries and I think that there's been a lot of them recently that I've really enjoyed and would love to talk about. So give us some feedback if you like those episodes. We might just do one anyways in the near future to kind of break it up, but... um, Hell, we talked about that Duggar documentary. Been watching a lot of true crime on Netflix. Um, Netflix, Disney Plus, Amazon Prime, like all of the all the platforms. So all the streaming services. Yeah, she got them. Yeah, but uh, once again, if you liked this episode, please follow us wherever you social media. So TikTok, Instagram, Facebook uh twitter but i guess threads now i should get on i've been seeing that i should be on something called threads so maybe stay tuned for that soon and then uh if you enjoyed this episode also or you just love the show and you haven't yet please give us a five-star rating or review on apple or spotify super helpful um if you screenshot your review and dm it to me i will send you stickers I still have stickers if you would like some stickers from us and you're looking for a free swag. Um, a five-star review will get you some stickers from me. So screenshot that. Send it either a DM or an email with a mailing address and I will email it or I'll email you. I will mail you some Podcast by Proxy stickers. Yeah, I will we'll not email, email them to you. I won't you make them yourself. Them. <laughs> I won't email also, them. Also, I'm thinking that at the end of next month, we should put all the people in the draw that send you the screenshot with the review and I will send them one of the t-shirts that I'm making. Yeah, Katie's been making podcast by proxy shirts at home on her Cricut, and they're so cute. I would love to give one away. So, so if I'm just you wanna... playing around with them, but yeah, I think that that could be a cute way that, because I don't want to charge money for them because nope. I'm making them myself right now, and they're kind of, I'm learning, but I think they're so cute, and I would yep. love to get them out to some people. Yeah, we would love to do a giveaway. So screenshot your five-star rating or review. It can be Spotify or Apple. You just have to prove you did it. Send it to us, either DM or email, and we will enter you into a draw for a free PBP homemade t-shirt. That's so cute. Yeah, right. I think it'll work well because we'll already have your address. We can get that right out to you if you are the lucky winner. Exactly. All right. Well, see you for part two. Bye. <laughs> Bye. I'll call you soon. Okay. Okay. Bye. 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 How do I stop this shit? I'll stop it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck me.